Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name's Ryan. My name's Brent. And this episode, knock knock. <laughs> Do I have to? Knock knock. <laughs> Who's there? <laughs> Dishes. Dishes who? Dishes you and me and the PJD because it's SST 207, the Treacherous Jaywalkers, Good Medicine LP. Brent and I love Treacherous Jaywalkers, uh, and it's been, yet again, almost 100 episodes since we've had a Treacherous record on, way back to episode 126. So really looking forward to getting into this one, and we've got a special guest. Yeah, James Fenton's on the show. Oh, it's so cool. What a great interview. And a no means no name drop, which, of course, <laughs> I know that uh, Brent and I always pay particular attention to. And, uh, you know, we know that everyone tunes in for Canadian punk rock references on this show as well. Absolutely. So, so hang in there for an awesome, awesome interview with James. Before we do that, though, Brent, why don't you hit us with some spiels? Okay. I've got five on the tree. Brian, Brian Ritchie edition. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I've just been soaking in Brian Ritchie ever since Ursonic Temple and Court of Babylon. Yeah, yeah. Okay, El Destroyo, Power of the Mind is the album. 2002, Weed Records, a short-lived Berkeley, California label. The band was the brainchild of Jimmy Friedman, most well-known for being in an early San Francisco new wave band called Wolverines. Hmm. which also had early Dead Kennedys drummer Bruce Ted Schlesinger behind the kit, actually. Otherwise known as Ted. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Jimmy's the songwriter and uh, lead vocalist, but it's a bit of a supergroup. Roger Rocha of Four Non Blondes on guitar. Bruce Schlesinger uh, was involved at one point. Uh, This one has Shig Komiyama of Hot Tuna and Plastic Ono Band on drums. Kurt Wagner of Mushroom on bass, as well as Brian Ritchie on bass, and also producing. Musically, it's kind of bubblegum pop, very keyboard heavy, but almost like Baroque pop. Uh, It's psychedelic, 60s influenced. It's neat. And then, Ryan, Eugene Chadbourne, G-O-I-N, Get Out of Iraq Now. It's a live album recorded in Holland in 2006. Features Brian Jackson on flute and piano, who collaborated extensively with Gil Scott Heron. Uh, Victor DiLorenzo of The Femmes on drums. Eugene's daughter, Molly, does some vocals. And Brian Ritchie plays bass and shakuhachi. It's neat. It's mostly Eugene songs with some cool covers of Pharaoh Sanders, uh, John Coltrane, Albert Eiler. It's pretty lounge jazzy at times. It's obviously political. Uh, and it's also apparently available as a live DVD. Hmm. The Zen Circus and Brian Ritchie, Villa Inferno, 2008 Unhip Records. Zen Circus is a band from Italy. Their name is a reference to Zen Arcade and Metal Circus. Ah. Their music, half of which is sung in Italian, is kind of like a folked-up go-go bordello. They had a number of albums before this and several after this one as well. They met Brian in 2006 when vocalist guitarist Andrea Apino opened up solo for the Femmes. Obviously, Brian liked what he saw, so he agreed to produce their next record, which was this one. It obviously has Brian's signature bass playing and sound all over it, 
Uh, but some other cool guests include Kelly and Kim Deal doing vocals on one track and Talking Heads guitarist, keyboardist Jerry Harrison playing organ on a cover of the Talking Heads track Wild Wild Life. Oh, no way. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, The Green Mist, Next Stop Antarctica 2007 on the stellar Aussie label Bang Records. Mm-hmm. Check the lineup. Charlie Owen of New Christ's Beasts of Bourbon and more. Uh, Julian Polson on guitar. Stuart Robertson on drums. Spencer P. Jones of a zillion cool bands, including the Johnnies, Sacred Cowboys, Beasts of Bourbon and more. Uh, who unfortunately passed away a few years back, and Brian on acoustic bass and shakuhachi. It's mainly instrumental. Uh, there's some mandolin on it, uh, which gives it a cool sound. It has a cinematic quality, like some spaghetti western sounds, some straight-up folk rock. There's a song called The Rumbler that's just total Beasts of Bourbon-style Aussie rocker. Mm. Apparently, Julian... Polson assembled the group after a chance encounter with Brian in Tasmania, and shortly after that, they started collaborating. There's a second record from the following year, also on Bang, which I haven't heard. That record's called Dirt Weed. And then finally, Ryan, I picked up the Violent Femmes Why Do Birds Sing 30th Anniversary Deluxe Edition, an album I actually didn't already own. Uh, which is weird because it's one of their better ones. It's their fifth from 1991, reissued last year, so we missed it on our on our Roundup episode. Oh, yeah. Lots of classics like American Music, Girl Trouble, their cover of Culture Club's Do You Really Want to Hurt Me. There's B-sides, outtakes, alternate mixes, and a great 1991 live set from The Boathouse in Norfolk, Virginia. Great liner notes from journalist Jeff Slate, uh, all of the band participated in interviews for it. It's a great package. At the record store when I was buying it, they had this, the double CD, and then the vinyl, which doesn't have any of this extra stuff on it. Yeah. And was twice the price. And it got me thinking, like, that's a no-brainer, right? Yeah. Forget it, man. You're buying like, the CD, right? Of course. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's... You need the tunes. I, I'm not going to be vinyl snob in that situation. Mm -hmm. No way. Yeah, and plus, plus, here's the thing, right? Not only did you get more music for less money, that money you saved, you can spend on more music. Yeah. Yeah. So that is, that's more than a no-brainer. Okay. Uh, and then finally, Ryan, uh, I just wanted to mention that I rocked the fall album, the infotainment scan about five to 10 times this week. It's great. Good. Yeah. Good recommend. Yeah, 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 man. I, I read up about that record a whole bunch, and I feel like I started with, you know, what's considered one of their, probably their better records. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, 30-plus albums. I You could argue to put that one in the top 10. People really like it. <laughs> it yeah, well, it is it is really good. Mm -hmm. Like I said, though, when I gave my spiel, my favorite fall album is the one I'm listening to. Um, I am about halfway through the big midweek. I'm reading, you know, six books right now or so, and, and I made it to the halfway point in that one. What an awesome book. You have to read that. Yeah, I want to buy that infotainment scan. I want to get the Sanctuary version with the bonus disc with Peel Sessions, but it's hard to find, man. Yeah, oh yeah, I mean, the fall stuff, a lot of that I did rebuy when those double discs came out. Yeah. And, and they are worth it, you know. 
they're so prolific dude so prolific yeah all right that's it for me what do you have cool my spiel this week brant relates to the big ego record club do you know this one no okay big ego is a label run by chris schlarp from the band or the proj psychic temple remember them hmm they're that proj on uh, they put out a bunch of records on joyful noise and uh and they put out the double lp one of the uh the sides is the dream syndicate side they've got uh psychic temple also has the the version of the band with watt in it oh, i was gonna say you keep referring to them as a proj which indicates to me that there's a watt connection yeah yeah exactly exactly well Big Ego is a label run by Chris Schlarb, and very cool. You can buy, um, go to their new, they've got like a updated website. You should go there and check out their artists. Very cool. And when I tell you about this record club that they're running this year, um, you'll know why I'm, I'm mentioning it as well. The Big Ego record club this year is a six LP subscription plus a full color photo book. It's about 130 bucks for this club. The, the six LPs that are coming out, one is by Guma, G-U-M-A, from Austin, Texas. This is a TJ Masters project. It's kind of his group. It is a groovy record. Their album is called A List of Sightings that's coming out. You can check it out online now. It's a follow-up to their 2019 self-titled record on Big Ego. Another record is by Izzy and the Finns called Mirrorball kind of a modern 80s pop soul record it's kind of cool probably not so much up my alley another band is juna time uh, remember the magic i don't know anything about this record that's coming out but there are also two psychic temples records that are going to be put out as part of this club one is called psychic temples plays planet caravan brand Ooh, sabbath yeah and it sounds just sick man like you gotta check it out you can check it out it sounds so cool and it's very reminiscent of another psychic temples record that they are going to reissue the psychic temples plays music for airports which has watt on it Mm. that one was originally issued on joyful noise so we've got two psychic temples coming out but that plays planet caravan you should check out how that sounds brand i bet you'll dig it it's like you know obviously that is some pretty psyched up jazzy Sabbath to begin with, but yeah. with with the Psychic Temples combo playing this track, you'll love it. Okay. And then the sixth LP that they're going to put out as part of this club is a new Mike Baguetta, Jim Keltner, and Mike Watt record called Every When You Go. Now, this is not mainstream stop valve. This is the same combo that put out 2019's Wall of Flowers with Mike Baguetta at the helm. And that record was on Big Ego. MSSV, of course, is White, Baguetta, and Stephen Hodges. But this is the combo that put out that Wall of Flowers, a new uh, record by this trio. I really liked the Wall of Flowers record. I'm looking forward to hearing this one as well. So we've got, you know, two records uh, with Watt on it, at least out of these six. The other thing, too, that I should mention, when you look up big ego records and and uh chris has got like a video online to explain this year's record club it's super grassroots and diy they've got their own studio they've got their own artists the way that 
uh, Chris describes it is, you know, they've got a little big ego records ecosystem and to get six LPs for 130 bucks and to support all these artists, it seems like a good way to go. sounds like the PJD little bit only you didn't have to spend 130 bucks you just had to send a blank tape and one dollar to josh hayden and he'd, <laughs> he'd dub it for you yeah well that was back in the 80s man yeah i guess but, hey ryan uh, yeah knock knock who's there watts on base <laughs> yeah i do <laughs> very good yeah uh that was an episode of watts on base too yeah. nice nice one all Thanks. right man well uh speaking of pjd do you want to do some dishes Mm-hmm. history lesson part one all right man we're with the the treacherous crew yet again love it every single time and uh, like i said it's been a while Episode 126, we had the Sunrise 12-inch, which uh, I gushed about because, again, like that was my intro to the band. I, I bought it out of the cheap bin because I saw the last names Watt and Hayden and the, the SST label, and I said, I'm getting this, and uh, the rest is history for me. But where should we start, Brent, on this episode? Well, I'll just give you a brief primer, Ryan. Here's from the actually the main page of the press kit for Sunrise, uh, and this is written by Aiden. I believe. Uh, Treacherous Jaywalkers, James Fenton. Drums, Josh Hayden. Bass and vocals, Quinn Haber. Guitar. Treacherous Jaywalkers is a unit formed in 1984 by three high school chums. Over half a dozen demo tapes and countless numbers of gigs later. They present to you their debut EP, Sunrise, on SST Records. Who are the guys in the band? What makes them so special? I don't know. I'm only their attorney. Aiden. I will proceed to tell you what I know. Quinn Haber is the guitarist, Josh Hayden, the bassist vocalist, James Fenton, the drummer. As freshmen, they soon discovered that they were the only people in their entire high school who had the same views and interest in music. They formed the group and began to share their beliefs with others. Treacherous jaywalkers tends not to preach, however. It simply wants to let people know that there may exist more important things than bombs or money. Man, with his unfair governments and laws, is chasing his own tail. In an effort to destroy nature and make money, man inevitably is going to destroy himself. The songs of treacherous jaywalkers are meant to cut off this dangerous path and show people what life is really about. That isn't to say that Treacherous is a hard-nosed, elitist political band. The tunes are tinged with humor and irony, a shining exclamation point in the world of flat, meaningless music. The combination of fresh political and socially conscious lyrics, along with its own brand of original music, makes for some highly enjoyable listening. I was thinking back, Ryan, I remember talking to Josh and him bringing up the band's politics in the interview, and mm -hmm. I, I hadn't really cottoned on to that when, we, when I was listening to that EP. I think half of it's instrumental, if I'm remembering right. Yeah, this is a way more political record. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. you can't miss it on this one. Yeah. Everything about this, this record. Uh, a few things before we go into the interview, Ryan, just for reference that I'll, that I'll mention. Uh, it was engineered by Vitas Matare, uh, again at Lyceum Sound Recorders, Mar Vista, California, recorded and mixed April and May 1988. Uh, with second engineer Marshall Crouch, and you'll you'll hear who Marshall is in the interview. Mm. 
Vetus was just cranking these out at this time. We've seen Vetus like nonstop here. Yeah. A Revelations 21.8 production. You'll hear a bit about that in the interview. Uh, Fast Freddy produced the record. Fast Freddy, a.k.a. Fred Patterson, fronted L.A.-based band Fast Freddy and The Precisions in the early 1980s. They were one of these offbeat bands that fell in with the punk scene more just because they didn't fit in anywhere else. Uh, a combination of you know swing and jump blues, R&B, jazz, and bebop, amazing players in the band, uh, that label Manifesto recently really released a two-CD deluxe edition of their sole 1984 full-length Limbo, which also contains their debut EP, their first single, single demos, live tracks, etc. Jeffrey Lee Pierce was an early member. Uh, Steve Berlin of Los Lobos. The album has contributions from both of them, along with DJ Bonebreak, Peter Case, Sid Griffin, and a bunch more. Freddie was also well known for writing uh, for Slash and also his own self-published zine, Backdoor Man, which ran from 1975 to 1978. How about we kick it over to James? Yeah. All right, we're joined on the podcast today by James Fenton. James, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. All right, so we're talking about good medicine, but before we get to that, I would just want to go back a bit. So remind me, you... Quinn and Josh all went to high school together, and I believe you're from the Culver City area in the L.A. suburbs. Um, yeah, Mar Vista. Um, I grew up in Santa Monica, and then by high school, my family moved to Mar Vista, so okay. West L.A., basically. And so, But you guys were in high school when you started Treacherous. Yeah, like ninth grade, I think. They actually had the band going. And then in algebra class one day, they were like, do you want to come over and jam? Do you play drums? <laughs> and that's how it started. They had a drummer already named J.J. Abdullah. Mm -hmm. And so they had me over and I, Quinn picked me up. He was the only one with a car. And we drove out to his house on like a Friday night. And we practiced and there was like a, I think I guess I brought my drum kit and all of a sudden, while we're jamming to, like, some ridiculous long version of Hey Joe, <laughs> the, the, he has these, like, um, sliding glass doors in his bedroom. And there's this guy on the other side uh -oh. of the sliding glass doors, <laughs> like, banging on the, the glass. I think I know where this is going. <laughs> and looking like he's going to kill us. And it was J.J. Abdullah. Apparently, Josh and Quinn surreptitiously you know, invited me in <laughs> to to play without letting JJ know. And of course, JJ, I think, lived just down the street or something <laughs> and I heard it. And so I was like, um, probably could have given me a little heads up that you had a drummer already. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, I've heard that story before for sure. That's, uh, yeah. that's a tough way to find out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, when did you start playing drums? Pretty early, like around nine or ten. Um, I have an older brother, Dave, who's eleven years older. Mm -hmm. My mom had miscarriages, and mm -hmm. um, so he was in a high school band uh, called Fuchsia with Michael Penn. Actually, he went to Samo High with 
mm-hmm. um, Michael Penn, Sean Penn. Oh, okay, yeah. Tony Alva. There was a bunch of characters in, in that high school at that time. And so anyway, he had like a, a prog rock band. They were kind of like Yes or Genesis or something. King Crimson. Um, and they would practice in our family's garage. And just one day I like snuck in the garage when they weren't practicing and I just walked over the drums and sat down and I, I sort of watched. I mean, I looked at the guitars and amps and microphones and it was a keyboard. It was like a full on band right. um, set up. And I just immediately gravitated to the drums and sat down and started playing. I was like, oh, yes. I was like, here, this is for me. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and then he caught me. He's like, I'm just going to like that. And um, pretty soon his drummer got a new drum kit and he gave me his, the old drum, the old drum set, which oh. was kind of already falling apart. But at least it gave me a kit to play on. So all of a sudden I had a kit to bash around with and around that time the sony walkman came out and i was able to like record the radio songs off the radio and i'd go in the garage and just play along to stevie wonder the beatles or whatever i had recorded that's kind of how it started if if it was a prog band i'm guessing it was a pretty massive kit as well yeah well i I only got like you know a a tom a, a kick drum a snare right and a cymbal or something like that it wasn't like the full enchilada but it was you know enough for me to play with and and feel like i had it was a real drum set you know some drummers start out on pillows or or like with plastic toy sets and just garbage but this was an actual you know wood shell drum set and Mm -hmm. so i was stoked yeah, when we were in high school, the the guy I played with started with uh, cardboard boxes with microphones underneath yeah. them, plugged into yeah. a guitar amp. So. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of throw pillows for floor toms, and you're off to the races. Yeah, you use what you got, and it all works out. Yeah. In your head, you're like live at the forum, you know. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. That's right. Okay, so uh, by the time you're in the band. What's the status that had they recorded? You're on all the tapes, like Earth, I think, is the first one, and you're on that one, right? Like the first kind of official one that you you released. Yeah, all the official things I'm on. JJ just was like early on, but they have like, you know, Josh just put up on Bandcamp a recording of, you know, some of their practice sessions or whatever. And he was an amazing drummer. In fact, I almost regret that they had me in. Like he was actually really amazing. <laughs> they had kind of like a, a more discharge GBH kind of sound with, when he was with them. And I, I love listening to another drummer play Sonny <laughs> Treacherous songs. Cause I was always like, how the hell would another drummer do this? I'm struggling here. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that though, cause it's one of the things I'm interested in. And I remember Josh mentioning this, and I think it's because I was asking him about the thank you list on Sunrise, where you thank some of those kinds of bands, you know, like the more of the British crust punk type bands or DB bands or whatever you want to call them. Uh, yeah. Like lyrically, I think he said you took a lot of inspiration from them. I don't hear it so much musically, but earlier on, you're saying they, that the band did 
take more musical inspiration as well from those bands. Yeah. It's just like the, the overall like intensity. Mm -hmm. Um, I think because of golden voice, there were so many British bands would come to LA and play. And so you'd just go to one show and it'd be like GBH, the exploited, (laughs) whatever sham 69 or whatever. And my favorite was discharge. And I think we all like discharge the most. Um, Gary, the drummer was really incredible. I just love their guitar sound and, and their songs. And, um, we would, you know, we would try to play, you know, you, you're influenced by so many bands, but you know, when it comes down to actually sitting down and playing, you know, what you think hopefully will sound kind of discharge doesn't really sound like discharge at all. It's just your effort or, or, you know, interest in a certain kind of band or music that, comes through you it's filtered through you and it comes out in its own way you know yeah so but with jj i think he was way more he was like alex van halen or something i mean he was just like a monster drummer with a double kick drum set and like 40 cymbals and (laughs) and he was like really buff guy i mean he was he to me he looked like a grown-up you know (laughs) we were all like young weaklings with pimples and he just looked like a buff drummer guy and he was really talented and that was just that sound so you can kind of hear it on on the recordings that josh put up okay yeah well you're by this point like a crazy drummer you're clearly influenced by classic rock drummers or like neil peart or somebody like that for sure mostly yeah john bonham i would say ringo Starr and john bonham are kind of major influences i would like like get cassettes of every led zeppelin album and then just go out to my garage and play the album over and over and over until i got it you know i was like how is he doing that triplet on the kick drum (laughs) you know i'm just I would just break it down like a scientist or something and just do it until I could get it. And I would think about it all day at school. Like, oh, man, when the levee breaks. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) So classic rock, arena rock, that was kind of... My older brother took me to my first concert. It was um, Cheap Trick. Mm -hmm. It was during the Dream Police Tour. And it was... (laughs) You know, so Bunny Carlos was amazing. Yeah, absolutely. So there was those influences, ACDC. Mm-hmm. Um, Josh and I went and saw Iron Maiden <laughs> just for the sheer spectacle. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually hated arena rock. I really couldn't stand it. I, I hated being in a crowd of like millions of people. I When I discovered punk, I, I loved it because it was like a club with like 100, 100, 150 people tops. And you could like get right up to the stage and see the band, you know, and really get right up there. But, the, you know, when I saw like David Bowie or Cheap Trick or whatever, they're like little like ants on, on the yeah. stage a million miles away. Yeah. So, so by the time you start playing like... I'm sure in high school you're playing wherever, like people's basements and stuff like that or garages, but like what, do you remember some of like the early bigger shows that Treacherous played, like that you were really excited about? 
Well, we did play like anything and everything. Um, I remember we played like a rec center in Brentwood and randomly that's when I met Dave Nasworthy and Bill Stevenson. Like they were randomly there for some reason. <laughs> and after we played, Dave Naz came up and he's such a nice guy. He's just like, Hey, my name's Dave. That was really great. Um, you must like black flag. I hear it in your playing. <laughs> it's just like really super nice. And Bill Stevenson is just standing there. It's, like feeling my symbols and looking. In the <laughs> so that was like a big moment. But I think like our biggest show early on was when we went and played with Agent Orange. Mm. And this was one of those connections Josh made. You know, he was like pen pals with all these punk rockers all over the place. And somehow we got on a bill to open up for Agent Orange. And we played in this hall in the middle of nowhere, like nevada or arizona or something and it was like a big hall and it seemed to me like a thousands of kids but it was probably like 500 or something mm -hmm. but it was huge and they were into it they were like desperate for live music so no matter how horrible we may have been at that point i don't know what stage we were at but you know they were into it yeah it was great. Interesting that you say, you know, what stage we were at, because there's definite stages of this band for sure. And it, I feel like it culminates with, with this record, Good Medicine. It, like, musically, it's just, it's a pretty crazy record. Yeah, it's, it's, um, some material is like older than others. Some things were kept, you know, obviously any band, keeps songs, develops them, right. drops other songs off. But yeah, we definitely had like a primitive era and that's like Earth, like our first recorded album, which I think is actually one of our best. Like I love our primitive, early, sludgy kind of punk rock beginnings. But Good Medicine is like when Quinn's much better on guitar, Josh, but they, they got better. We all kind of were progressing. Mm -hmm. And so Quinn got a surfy sound and a bluesy sound, and he got a really nice tube amp, and, you know, the, the songwriting was better, but it was way more, you know, diverse and, you know, reggae-influenced and punk and surf and psych and just all kinds of stuff yeah so. okay so this was recorded with vetus at uh lyceum do you remember yeah. the sessions it says april may 1988 do you know if this was done all in one session or was it did you leave and come back i th think that may be like we recorded and then came back to mix or something um but i think we we showed up. I knew Vetus was in the last. And so I was like, oh my God, this is like a legend. Right. And then we got Fast Freddy, who I worked with at Rhino Record, uh, okay. who is a legend in his own right. And he agreed to produce the record. And we go over to Vetus's place, and it's this really classic, like Los Angeles home with a kidney bean swimming pool and butterfly roof and just really nice pad and he's got this big recording studio in the backyard right right off the pool and 
I'm thinking, oh my God, this is amazing. I don't want to ever leave, you know? <laughs> and then we opened the door to the studio and Slovenly was still, they were like finishing up their We Shoot for the Moon record. Oh, wow. <laughs> and we opened the door and I look in the, the studio room, the main room, and the singer of Slovenly is like, on the floor like rolling around screaming and there's like beer bottles everywhere and i'm like what the <laughs> and he's he's singing i think a neil young song or something it was amazing <laughs> you're like wow what's going on slovenly's here and rob holzman had greg uh george hurley's you know blue vista light ludwig drum kit and i was like wow this is amazing. I don't want to do anything. I just want to watch. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, how did Fast Freddy produce the record? What kind of input did he have? Well, he's kind of a a long-time scenester, and I, I only regret we didn't have him play sax on the record, but he sang and did some percussion and stuff, but he mostly worked with Vetus and he would just say, you know, try that again or something. I mean, we basically did the tracks pretty fast. Um, and he was kind of happy with it, but he, he worked mostly with Vetus and maybe Josh and Quinn. I didn't, um, do too much with him, but yeah. he was great to have around cause he was just sort of like a, um, a force of coherence for the whole session. <laughs> when you say you worked fast, like it sounds, it has a very live sound. Like it, even the vocals sound yeah. like they were tracked live. Were they? Yeah, they, they weren't, but, um, Vetus, that's the really beautiful thing about Vetus's studio. It's a really nice room. Like it, the sound in there mm -hmm. is just amazing. Yeah. Like it's just natural reverb. It just, that's why I think that Slovenly record sounds so amazing. It's probably the best sounding record because of that studio and all the angst records, the yeah. later angst records yeah. sound amazing because they were recorded there. So just the room has like just a great sound, a live kind of sound. And, and, um, fast Freddy was into that too. He, he wanted to kind of get a kind of live sound, um, like full of energy. Okay, um, now it says, I think it says, uh, second engineer is Marshall Crouch. Is this your friend, Marshall? Or is it a different Marshall? Yeah, no, this was our friend. He was like a roadie. Um, he's the younger brother of the manager of Rhino, David Crouch. And so they were all, you know, he and Aiden were uh, kind of helped us get around. He had a car when we didn't. And he did some vocal stuff on Sunrise, on really all recordings. So he's kind of a a constant presence mm -hmm. and a good friend. Okay, well, let's talk about the tracks because you mentioned Aiden, and the the first side is side Aiden. I feel like he was almost like a fourth member. There's even a promo photo with with Aiden in it. Yeah. I have... He just always hung out with us and, and he went on our, our tours with us and, um, he's just, he was Quinn's friend, I think, but we soon just sort of adopted him as like, um, he didn't play anything or 
do anything except a few vocal appearances. He's on the first track. And I think we were a band that was guilty of being a little too inside jokey. And that kind of permeated a lot of our songs. And so Aiden was kind of part and parcel of that with Quinn. He and Quinn would get together and think of these things or maybe it was he and josh too i don't i don't remember um that wasn't really my department you know mm-hmm. i sort of uh tried to focus purely on my drumming and like i was going to support them it's i always thought of it as their band i'm supporting them mm. <laughs> as much as i was always i was in it for seven years or something but um they wrote all the songs they you know um, and they worked out jokes and all kinds of inside baseball stuff, some of which I don't even get. Like, I, I never even, <laughs> I don't think I, like, covered it all with them. Like, what is that? Is that... <laughs> you said something interesting. So, like, this song, Dishes, is written by Josh, but I just, yeah. like, I feel like this, something like this, or all these songs would have been very difficult for someone to right from start to finish like this sounds like something that josh maybe brought in parts of it and then you worked out as a group maybe i mean they were um surprisingly prolific so we would have these band practices that would go for hours and they would come in and just sort of like union labor style to say okay i've got a song and they would just starts with this starts with this and we would just sort of go through it and then it would evolve and change by another practice. It says, so we're taking this part out. I'm going to do this. And it was only later that lyrics would come into the picture. And then, you know, it would sort of, I'd slowly glean that dishes is about a dream Josh had. And I think he literally had a dream with Aiden in it. Yeah, That's what the (laughs) lyrics says. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, there's a lot of tongue in cheek in the lyrics. There's a lot, there's some nuance there, but sometimes I think he's literally telling you exactly <laughs> <laughs> what, what he means. So. so usually the, the lyrics would come after the music. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't, you know, if sometimes they would, sometimes it seems, I would think, a song was an instrumental mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden one of them would, would start singing or speaking or, you know, we would have like a, a six minute song that four minutes in, there was no singing. And then all of a sudden they're singing for the final minute and a half or whatever. So they had their own ideas about vocals. And I guess they did the kind of, you know, if I wrote it, I sing it. If you wrote it, you sing it kind of philosophy. And, gotcha. Um, uh, the next one is Los Thumbos. <laughs> this song Los, is... Los Thumbos, yeah. Yeah, Thumbos. Insane. Like, it just goes from a samba to ska, some jazz. <laughs> yeah. It's a wild song. And you play some tabla on it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm rocking the tabla. Yeah. Um, yeah, Quinn, Quinn's a lifelong surfer. And so 
anything that that moved and swayed and jerked and crashed and pummeled like the ocean he he would <laughs> replicate on guitar and and that song is kind of a classic example of that uh the next song is in the world and this one has vetus on it yeah yeah he's doing some vocals yeah um he was doing amazing studio wizardry too like giving these wild sounds and effects that was really amazing to hear especially in the studio this record sounds like crap unless you really turn it up you know it's it's really good headphone record or just mm-hmm. like when you're cranking it up um because there's a lot in there <laughs> like Vetus and fast freddy made sure there was a lot of textures and sounds and blips and you know um, pretty, well pretty even cool. the playing though is just you know some of the songs there's just it just shifts so quickly that i don't know how to describe it it's kind of like just when you think you you know you found your place in the song it's it's moving on yeah there's lots of ideas <laughs> I, mean, in I don't <laughs> I, I i don't know why but this is this is this was their aesthetic especially quinn quinn really did the sort of you know time shifting so much so that as a drummer i would wonder like maybe i'm gonna just drop out right now and i'm gonna wait for an opportunity to come back later (laughs) or i'll like he would go into a retard or like you know different ways of slowing or speeding up or just jerking or (laughs) and so it was sort of like being tossed around in the riptide you know time wise and i just tried to keep up the best i could yeah (laughs) uh the next one's vision pit you get a co-write on this and I'm assuming it's you wrote the, the speech that you, you say on it. Yeah. With Quinn, this is one of those, I wish I hadn't done it. I, I sort of had a policy, like I'm just the drummer. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do the artwork and, you know, covers and flyers and stuff, but I just want to focus on the drumming. But in the studio, I think, Quinn balked and said, actually, I'm not going to sing anything. Um, I want you to sing something, write something, you know, and he sort of like fed me a few phrases and I don't know how he got me to do it. Cause I was just absolutely, you know, unnerved by even the suggestion that I was going to <laughs> <laughs> lend my, my voice the record so it's it's kind of a, a song i i kind of regret but you know that's <laughs> neither here nor there now so. yeah uh the waves at the end of this song i'm assuming that's something quinn brought in maybe yeah quinn quinn had a bunch of sound effect tapes and we would use sound effects not a lot but here and there pave the way i think is an older song uh, originally on yeah. the fun tape yeah there's a there's more than a, there's a couple of songs off that last pjd tape and that's one that made it on the record and is one that we played a lot we would uh, often play it so it's just sort of I'd say crowd favorite, but we didn't really have crowds. So. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a favorite of ours to play. I'll yeah. put it that way. <laughs> so, uh, there's some wipeout drumming from you even on this one. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty exhausting song to play. <laughs> I bet, yeah. <laughs> a lot of them were actually. <laughs> Long Forgotten Summer is the next one. There's some harmony vocals on this. Like, Josh and Quinn seem to have that dialed by this point. I'm assuming it's Quinn. I think so. Um, or it's second vocals from yeah. Josh. I don't know if Josh is doubling his vocals or something. But this was like, if we have a hit song on the record, this might be it. I remember when we were mastering the record with John Golden, he, I think he said something like, this is your hit. <laughs> and he's like, why is it on the end of side one? You know, because apparently it's songs that are at closest to the end groove have the least fidelity or mm. something. Mm. I think that's true. So you have the strongest fidelity at the start of the record. Mm. I don't know if that's accurate, but it's vaguely what I remember him saying. <laughs> And he was trying to get us to change the sequencing oh, wow. or something <laughs> during uh, during mastering. And I think maybe we did or something. I don't know. But for some reason, our hit song is at the end of side one. <laughs> so <laughs> just how that cookie crumbled. It was more than John Golden who kind of thought this was your hit? Like it, people like this one? I, yeah, I don't know. I remember um, Josh's dad went on... Um, KCRW and he was like guest DJing and he played this song on, <laughs> on the radio <laughs> like after like a like a chick Korea right. song or something <laughs> and it was just it was a little jarring but it was still like he liked he really liked this song he was yeah. like this is a good song yeah well it's got <laughs> you know a good uh, song, man. it's got cool lyrics and it's three minutes long which helps yeah yeah Made for radio. That's right, yeah. <laughs> okay, flipping it over, I think this is another one that dates back at least to the fun era. Have you ever seen the sunrise? Yeah. Now here we're getting... It's a Quinn song. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's written by Quinn. Um, still pretty topical, lyrically. We haven't really touched on the lyrics, but, you know, considering what's happening in Ukraine right now, the... A lot of the stuff is pretty topical, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, sometimes the lyrics were a bit too on the nose for my taste, but we were like, you know, we started out as like these angry, sullen ninth grader punks. You know? <laughs> and <then> yeah. we, <laughs> we were sort of, as we grew older, um, the environment and, and just all kinds of issues around war and uh, everything sort of really took hold, especially with Quinn's lyrics, though, Josh, too. Um, and this is certainly no exception. So mm -hmm. It's an older song, too, that uh, like paves the way. Okay, the next one I'm going to butcher, uh, butcher the title on. Uh, Encomienda, okay. 1988. Thank you. So this is a Quinn song, and I, I was like, what is Encomienda? <laughs> <laughs> and I guess Quinn had read up about the Spanish, you know, it's like not slavery, but it's slavery. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like um, a way of 
um, enslaving Native peoples. And mm-hmm. yeah. um, once again, Quinn hitting you know real positive up note for people. <laughs> 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 but, um, I I remember that. Uh, he really thought he had, you know, come to some new kind of guitar playing with this one. Like he really um, seemed to, they all, both of them progressed in different, you know, leaps and bounds. And this one is, um, the guitar on this record is really great. Like, I just think his, guitar playing the layers and textures especially with vetus's help is really at times really beautiful and um really cool to to hear yeah yeah all the playing is really great all right are you playing a triangle on this song <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah we had various percussion instruments maybe there's a triangle in there yeah <laughs> It's quite an orchestral ear, Brand. <laughs> you can't miss a triangle. Yeah. Ding! Yeah. <laughs> All right, the next song, I I have to know who Papa Greg is because he even gets a thank you on in the on the thank you yeah, list. Yeah, this is um, a friend of Josh's, I guess. So it's, you know, you're interviewing the drummer. Right. Sort <laughs> of the, the part of the problem. But... Um, is a friend of Josh's and inspired him mightily. Some guy he met and um, I never saw or met the man myself, so I can't I can't say. But all three of us were like really into reggae and dub and mm-hmm. um, that's you Roy that we sampled. Okay. At the beginning, the toaster, the famous toaster, he just passed away recently. Yeah. Yep. Um, but he's like an absolute legend who I think we all went to see him live at the music machine um, back in the 80s. And he was unbel- and he was backed by Sly and Robbie. It was just okay. amazing. Yep. But so this, this on the nose reggae <laughs> song inspired by some guy josh really yeah knew well but i i never saw him or met him i wish i had uh the laughing at the end you has got marshall and steve townsend of a pjd some pjd bands i believe mustard and shower of smegma um steve townsend uh was the drummer in mustard and yeah he played in later incarnations of SOS he's currently in a band called Sandy Gold with Daryl Goldfarb who's the guitarist from Mustard they were actually featured in Rolling Stone you know full color photo of them I thought they would get signed to Warner Brothers or something but um, they certainly should have been but um, they were sort of uh, profiled with Diggable Planets and a few other bands like this is a new wave of music in 1988 or whatever. Um, But Mustard were amazing and they um, played through the 90s and um, but in the last decade or more uh, Steve and Daryl have had this project called Sandy Gold and they put out a couple records 
private press records and they're amazing. Um, but Steve were, Steve had a house with a drum kit and he would have parties. And so we would play with mustard. He was like, you know, a great friend and he had a four track recorder. So he recorded all our bands mm-hmm. and that's, sort of how PJD was possible really I think because he had microphones and he had a really good setup you know and he had a house where his mom was always gone you know with work and stuff and so we had the house to ourselves to, to make as much noise as we needed to right we could do a lot of recording and stuff so yeah he recorded all our PJD stuff and did percussion and stuff on our SSP material. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next song is Fake, which again, I think, dates back to the fun tape. Yeah. This one, I hear the influence of Minutemen or Firehose. Yeah, and it's unsurprisingly a Josh song. And I, I the, the lyrics are like inscrutable <laughs> to me, except that... <laughs> it's talking about the surface of things and the superficiality of people and um, materialism versus a more holistic life. (laughs) But um, I just love the groove and the, I love that his singing was getting better. Like we were, we were leaving the realm of like discharging screaming punk rock and going into really, almost like Captain Beefhearty weirdness you know, <laughs> that I really loved. And I remember um, Vetus and Fast Freddy were like, wow, you know, they, they loved the weirder aspects of Treacherous Jaywalkers the most. <laughs> um, uh, there's another song, Love by Josh, that's on the La Ila Bonita EP. And that also has some absurdist, um, really out there singing and performance. So we're all over the place for <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, jo- you're, you're right about Josh's singing on it's really good on this record. I love it. Yeah. Uh, and then speaking of sequencing to me, the record ends the way it should with a psychedelic jam gaze. Yeah. Yeah. With like backwards guitar. Yeah. There's Beatus that, there's that production. Splicing and, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and a kind of reflective, you know, staring into the campfire, kind of, kind of <laughs> landing the plane kind of song. And then on the cassette, there's um, Little Wing. We do a cover of Little Wing, and mm-hmm. that's that follows that. All right. And it's a Revelations 21-8 production. What's that a reference to? Uh, that's Fast Freddy. Okay. So, um, I don't know if he got that through, you know, he had a drinking problem in his early days and then he finally went sober and he's been sober ever since, you know, for decades and decades and decades. But you'll have to consult your Bible about that. But he, he, he insisted that we, we include that if he was, that was sort of like, um, what he required if we were going to have him produce our record. So that's fair. He's like, make sure you get that down, and he wrote it out for me. And so I said, okay. 
they're going to think we're Christian rock, man. <laughs> it's no good, but so All right. he's featured on the insert. You can see him standing in Rhino Records. Oh, that's him. Okay. Yeah, with the goatee, the famous like '50s hipster glasses and goatee, and the <laughs> Albuquerque Duke shirt. And right behind him is the Chemical People single. Mm-hmm. So we're very much like a a Rhino supported band. That record store was like, you know, that was our home base. If we weren't in a garage practicing, <laughs> we were usually hanging out at Rhino. <laughs> Since we're looking at the insert right now, is that's you doing a handstand, I'm assuming? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think Ed O'Brien of Zoog's Rift took that. Mm, yep. That He's credited as some of the photos. You had pretty um pretty He and I went hair. to Zuma Beach. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the hell's going on. <laughs> I was 20. What can I say? Um but he and I were roommates. Like we played a gig with Zoog's Rift and he and John Mako Sharkey came up to me after our set and they were like, I really like your music. My, <laughs> my name's Ed. John, I, I ended up doing a little side band with them for a while and then I became Ed's roommate and he got a job at SST. So when I, when I had to deliver the art to SST, I just gave it to him to take to work. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you, because I remember Josh mentioning that you you played with with John Mako Sharkey. What what kind of project was this? Oh, we, we just became friends, and he, he would come over, and my parents would say, stay for dinner, and he was like, he was like Mark Twain or something. He was just like this great conversationalist <laughs> and a really happy guy who made people laugh and, and um, you know, just really kind of eccentric and and uh, had wild ideas. And so I was like, yeah, I want to jam. Let's jam. Like, So I would have him over and he'd bring his keyboard and... and um, I don't know if we recorded. I I hope we did. I I have to get back in touch with Ed. It's been way too long. Mm. Um, Because he and I go way back now. Yeah. So the the Zeke's Rift Treacherous Jaywalkers connection (laughs) is officially strong. Okay, well, speaking of that, I have a feeling, I could be wrong, but the, the photos on this insert with... Uh, there's three of them, I think, with you guys playing live, full band shots, with that lattice work. Is that at Bebop? That is not at Bebop. That is... I don't know where that is, frankly. It's it's just some random place we played. Hmm. I don't even know if it's a club. I wish I could remember... Yeah, it might be somebody's patio by the looks of it. Well, yeah, it looks almost like an outdoor space, mm-hmm. but I, it's indoors. But I can't remember. Um, but the band shot on the back cover was shot by John Wells, who is Josh's cousin, I think. And so he came to this show with the lattice work stage, uh. and 
took some of those photos and there was like a um it's it's definitely not bebop because you can see in one photo i don't know how he got up maybe there's a mezzanine or something but he's shooting down on us and yep. there's like a yep. a chandelier <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> i can't remember what gig that was Okay. Um, we played mostly at the Anti Club and Bebop Records, that's for sure. But we played all over. Too. Yeah, I was gonna say it looks like just based on the lettering behind Quinn, it looks like there's a shot at the Anti Club. Yeah, that's the Anti Club for yeah. sure. Yeah. Okay, that middle part, um, the where where's that from? With the tank, uh, with the bulldozer and the pay the pay your rent piece. That is, um, I think, from some, um, like, Earth First. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of Earth First? Um, material or something that either Josh or Quinn uh, gave to me to use okay. with Aiden's face superimposed over... <laughs> the top right corner. Ah, okay. Yeah, it says uh pay your rent cartoon from Eco Defense. Oh, Eco Defense. Okay. So just uh an environmental activist yep. group. I think kind of a, a more like radical one. Hmm. Um I don't know if they're like blowing up cars <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> but um <laughs> uh, some of those groups were pretty pretty insane. Um but again like Every every like sentiment, ideology, everything on our records is still like prescient today, and and mm-hmm. and something I I believe in strongly, if not more than ever. You know, like I did not foresee climate change like this when I was twenty. You know, so yeah. um, well, a lot of our songs we were guilty of not singing about girls enough. I think. <laughs> 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 not enough relationship songs but we did have a few yeah um but uh we, we had a lot of uh political politically charged uh lyrical content i guess yeah well the lyrics are on point still unfortunately today um speaking of which i wanted to ask i think this is one of your drawings on the flip side of the insert again super relevant here where i live up in canada we have a lot of you know, uh, truth and reconciliation were, you know, with, with indigenous people and a lot of reckoning with our past. And I, you know, there, there's a theme of, of that for sure on this record, it, you know, explain that yeah. the draw, this is your drawing, right? Yeah. It's, it's a drawing I did. Yeah. With the, um, the peace sign and the equality sign and. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, about 10 years ago, I was a journalist in the Four Corners area that in our daily paper, it was like a USA Today paper, abutted the Navajo Nation, the, the eastern border. And so I did a lot of reporting on the Navajo Nation, the largest um, you know, native land in the country. And it's clear like the reservation system was not... <laughs> was a terrible idea. Mm-hmm. And, yep. you know, to this day, 
um, traveling onto the Navajo Nation, you immediately drop out of the first world yeah. and enter, you know, the most spare, uh, immoral conditions that you would, um, you know, have befall people. Um, so within, you know, driving distance of McDonald's and Starbucks and, you know, um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, something that to this day it's still you know i mean the title of the record good medicine i think quinn showed up to practice um with a tape by john fidel mm-hmm. who was a activist yeah. and he recorded a tape and played with um jesse Ed davis the legendary guitar player so Quinn showed up with his tape called Graffiti Man, and that was really hugely influential on us. And then he also showed up with a book called Good Medicine. It was by this guy, Adolph Hungry Wolf, which is not even a Native American. It's this, I think, a Swiss-German guy who married a Blackfoot Indian and just went full bore into Native culture um, marrying into the the culture and living amongst those people, either in British Columbia or other areas. I'm not exactly sure, but mm-hmm. um, he uh, wrote a series of like, you know, 50 books or something, and, and his sort of mantra was good medicine. But, um, life is out of balance and at the time, the, one of the coolest movies out was called Koya Maskatsi, which was Life is Out of Balance. And, and so this was sort of permeating our, our sort of, um, filters as we were mm-hmm. coming of age, you know, yeah. as musicians. And that definitely thematically is, um, you know, I think at the forefront in this, in this album. Definitely. Um, yeah. It definitely comes across, especially, I mean, again, it is top of mind here in Canada, you know, trying to right these historical wrongs, and it's a huge problem. But like, you know, like you were saying, I mean, most indigenous communities here in Canada still have boil water advisories, for example. Yeah. Like, it's a real problem. Uh, Sadly, still relevant. Yeah. Your front cover is amazing. That's a painting. Um, Yeah, that's an oil painting that, um, I made Ed take to SST, I think when they were in Carson, if I recall correctly. And it, and it hadn't even dried yet, so they had it hanging up at SST for like three months <laughs> until it dried, and then a photographer could shoot it. Did you get it back? Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> eventually. Um, you still have it? It was a while, though. I thought I, I was going to just leave it at SST, but eventually Ed brought it home one day. All the lettering and everything is all, that's all you, you painted all of it. Um, well, except for the fonts, like the fonts I picked out, but the border, like that little PJD ribbon border. Um, I, yeah, I did all that. I did all the layout. Josh and Quinn didn't, you know, I would just show them and I would say, you want this kind of thing? You want, <laughs> and, and they just uh, go for it. This is in the era of like, I'm taking this stuff to a typesetter. Right. You know? This is before personal computing is like commonplace. Yeah. 
so I'm using a lot of clip art that I cut out of, I guess, photocopies out of books and stuff and whatever I, you know, had at my disposal. Well, that, um, you know, that's the thing I appreciate about this record and Treacherous is like the music, the artwork, all of it is just like, we want to show everyone who we are, what our interests are, what our causes are, all of it. It's all there. Like, it's just like this real creative explosion. It really comes across that way. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I mean, we we get a lot of flack, or we used to, for being uh, heavily influenced by the Minuteman or mm. Black Flag or whatever. No way. And and to a degree, I guess you know that that's inevitable. You know, Josh, I mean, you know, the Minutemen. I mean, come on. But I mean, I, uh, I wouldn't say heavily influenced. I mean, we were just heavily into them. Yeah. I don't. I wasn't thinking about like, let me sound girly when I was playing. And I, I just listened to this record today and it, yeah, you can hear like, Oh yeah, it sounds like they, they might, might be a Minuteman vibe in there at one it's point not or another but, at all. No way. But yeah, I think we were, I don't know if that, if I'm overblowing the complaints or criticism Oh, that I, I heard in the past, but I've read enough um, reviews in like these SST press kits where you really, you know, a lot of the reviewers, frankly, were lazy, right? So they would just say, "Soundgarden sounds like Led Zeppelin," <laughs> you know, right. in every review, which right. is, you know, well. Um, I'm just surprised at like the sounds that we created. I <laughs> think it's quite amazing. Uh, listening to it now i have a newfound appreciation for it because i haven't listened to it in quite a while so it was kind of um fun to to listen to it again yeah okay so i can't let you go without grilling you about the pjd because i just think it's so cool that you know that you guys had that (laughs) whole thing yeah Um, so and much like Sunrise, the the thank you list is amazing. So I'm going to ask you about some of the people on the thank you list. Yeah, shoot. We we really just <laughs> did not have an editor. We just <laughs> let it all out. Okay. Uh, Wiley Ginn is Greg, obviously. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. <laughs> the guy that dumped us. Yeah. Uh, saliva Joe Mama has to be Sylvia Juncosa. Yes. <laughs> what what was I thinking? <laughs> She's a really good she was a really good friend of ours and good supporter and and she would put us on gigs with her band to Damascus and mm-hmm. um played on she she came and she came to these sessions and played and sang um on material that's on the next release, but yeah, she she and her drummer David Winogron were, you know, he was a huge influence on me because he's like a living example of like Mitch Mitchell, you know, like mm-hmm. he was an amazing drummer. Um, so yeah, yeah, he gets a thank you on here as well. Uh, okay, yeah. so I think we're getting into some PJD bands. Your analysis. Yeah, that was uh, led by the legendary Austin Troy. 
who went to Crossroads High School with us. That band is really worth listening to. Yeah, I wish, I wish. Uh, I'll I'll dupe you a copy. I'm only at the cassette level. I <laughs> I haven't gone digital like Josh can. <laughs> so, but I have a dual cassette deck. Oh wow! I um, could uh, bring you some tapes. Oh wow! I might hold you to that because I I'm <laughs> looking at these PJ catalogs and I just the descriptions are just like uh, what what's uh, the one band? I can't remember. They're described as crimson esque, which. It's just awesome that you guys were in high school and, you know, referencing King Crimson and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, we all love King Crimson. That was, uh, that was the generational bridge between my brother and me. You know, mm-hmm. like, he loved, he had a poster in the court of the Crimson King on his wall. And I remember just going, what the hell is that? That was amazing. <laughs> and having worked in a record store for about 10 years, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people like ooh and ah at that cover and no just kidding. go, I yeah. guess I'm not going to have this. I have no idea what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I always strove for with our record covers was like something that would just like, if you didn't know who we were, maybe you'd maybe pick it up just out of, you know, the the lure of the, the cover art. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, Alter Drown, I think one of the, it seems like one of them bigger bands maybe of the PJD scene. Yeah, that's um Eddie Gregor who was the singer in SOS with with uh Daryl Goldfarb mm-hmm. and John Silverblatt who is the drummer of Alter Drown um who later went on to be in Equidemius the band with the trio rock band that I thought was going to be signed to SST, but they never did, but they were incredible. They played shows like skull rock and, uh, Dave Travis shows, um, that we were lucky to be a part of. Um, but altered Drum was, um, a more King Crimson, y proggy punk band. Um, no means no ish kind of, Mm. Um, band that our friend Eddie um, formed and recorded. He he then became like our second engineer producer for us, for PJD. He, like Steve, he had a four track or an eight track recorder, so we started recording with him too. Um, and he and Josh and I formed the the gone like band called yeah. out yeah. that was all instrumental. And we, we played tons of shows with Swab, like Chuck Dikowski <laughs> was a big supporter. And in fact, Eddie went on to play guitar in Swab for mm-hmm. a period. Yeah. He didn't record with them, but he, he was definitely in uh Swab for a while. Yeah. Pre winter. I know, I know he was in the band. Yeah. And he went on to be in this band called Hedgehog that mm-hmm. put out a couple amazing records also in that punk band, no use for a name. I don't know. Mm-hmm. He was in that band in one iteration or another. So. Yeah. I have the out tape. Love it. That's, oh, you do? Yeah. Okay. It's awesome. Yeah. Animal. Animal is also Eddie Gregor. So he did that project after Alter Drown okay. with, uh, Pete Ruskin on drums, 
who also appears on a treacherous recording playing drums when I was absent for one reason or another. I can't remember why. <laughs> so there was technically three drummers in Treacherous Jaywalkers, mm. believe it or not. Okay. I'm I'm nearly one of three. <laughs> I have to ask you about a few of like the metal bands that you thank on here, like Razor and Hirax and Cryptic Slaughter, who you did some cover art for. Yeah, um, Rob Nicholson, the bass player, went to school with us. Ah, okay. And he was like my neighbor, like he lived down the street. So he would show up and hang out and watch Treacherous Practice and and uh, talk about his band Cryptic Slaughter. And <laughs> one day they just said, will you do this art? They put a gun to my head and I did it. <laughs> No, but he he was a great guy, and they were, uh, I guess, um, of all those bands, Corrosion and Conformity was my favorite, Animosity being the mm -hmm. epic yeah. salvo, Reed Mullen being a huge influence on me. I was sorry to hear he passed away. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, Cryptic Slaughter was like our neighborhood-friendly crossover thrash band <laughs> in Mar Vista. <laughs> Okay, well, Razor was mine, so I'm glad to hear, you know, they got to thank you. <laughs> All right. Um, what happened after this came out? Did you did you do, uh, do any touring? Uh, yeah, we did a... I was going to... I dropped out of art school. I was going to CalArts for Fine Art, and I ended that to go on tour and focus on the band and... We went all the way to New York and went up into Ontario, I think. It's mm -hmm. a sort of a national tour. I think in the summer. Um, and that was just an amazing experience. And it made me really want to do more of it. <laughs> and uh, never really got to do it again. Like touring across the country up into another country was sort of yeah. exciting uh, to me. I did a lot of the driving. I loved to drive and we would, God, we would just show up places and get treated really well. People were so great. Like we played with the tar babies and in what Madison, yeah. Wisconsin. I think yeah. that's where they're from. Yeah. And they put us up in their friend's house and they had a big party and, They've cooked like a thousand pounds of spaghetti and everyone had a great time and put us up and we played a daytime set with them and a nighttime set and just great memories like that. How much longer do you think Treacherous was together after this came out? Uh, actually, I think we went um, into the early 90s. Mm. I think, yeah. We had... In fact, Good Medicine is, is really great material, and I, I love some of these songs. Um, but I really think my favorite is our primitive material before it, and then sort of the material that came much later towards the end. Hmm. Um, I think we had in mind, if, if we hadn't have been dropped, that we were going to record with Bill Stevenson. And we had these songs that really, I think, would have been right up his alley in terms of production and and 
Um, some of that material is just really great. Our last few demos, I think we're in 92, 91. Because mm. I think Josh was in Spain by like 94. Okay. Somewhere in there. Um, you were able to capture some of that stuff, though, like recorded? Yeah, we have like an 8-track demo. We also went in in San Diego or somewhere we went to a like a college campus and maybe this was at Irvine where Josh went to school, UC Irvine. And we did a, a, a video, like we, a video set of our, of our live set. And that's popped up on YouTube. Quinn, I guess, put something on YouTube and that material is, I think, really some of our best stuff. Like, that's when Josh's songwriting uh, and Quinn's playing, his guitar playing, were just like at the zenith, you know. They were really, you know, all that practice, all those years had, you know, um, come to fruition in this great, um, these great batch of songs. Well, maybe some of which you can hear on Bandcamp. Josh has posted live stuff, so you hear some of that material here and there. Right. Yeah, well, maybe Josh will hear this and you know put some of the yeah. the, the rest. Get of on it, Josh. <laughs> 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 what did you do after after Treacherous? I we were talking before we started recording, and you you were telling me about you know that you kept playing in bands. Well, I. You know, I really wanted to be a drummer in a band. And I, now that I had a taste of like recording and touring, I was, I was just really into it. And so I just tried to play with anybody and everybody. And Treacherous was getting, you know, Quinn was in San Diego, Josh was in Irvine, and I was in LA. Um, and so I played in a band called Egg that was kind of a, more metally band we played with rage against the machine like their one of their first shows and that band wool i remember Mm -hmm. and we were actually drawing people it was like (laughs) more fans than i saw at treacherous shows and i was like wow this is amazing um and then there was some label wanted to come see us and our singer who was a total alcoholic just passed out on stage in our first song oh boy and i just I just quit right then. I was like, okay, I can't deal with people who can't get their stuff together. So, um, then later on I was in the chemical people with Dave Naz and, and Ed, um, for a spell. Mm -hmm. We played some shows with big drill car and all, and those were lots of fun. I I was kind of a little like assistant, assistant roadie to all, just went on tour with them on some of their short little two week runs and played with them. But then the, I went to college. So, uh, <laughs> um, then after college, I, I played in band. I went to new Orleans for grad school and, um, played in, um, a few bands, um, culminating in my favorite band I was ever in was the Oaks. Uh, kind of a freak folk band with a stand-up bass, banjo, guitar, 
um, kind of tortoisey sound at times, um, instrumental band. Mm-hmm. And we recorded, but um, then the guitarist went to Brooklyn and that, that ended that night and had kids. And <laughs> aside from like playing in some bands with people from time to time using their drum kit because I didn't have mine, but that's about the extent of it. But right now, um, my older brother and his two friends, childhood friends, who live in, he lives in Berkeley. His friend Stoffy lives in New York. He's the chair of English at Columbia. And his other friend Todd Brunner is in London. They have kind of reformed, like doing what lots of people did during COVID, which mm-hmm. was to have band practice online. You know, whoa, so, whoa. Are you, you gonna, know, are you about to tell me Fuchsia got back together? No, not Fuchsia. <laughs> they they all hate Fuchsia. They were like, oh, we were terrible. Why did we have three guitar players? <laughs> but um, I asked if they have recordings, and he's going to look into it. I don't, I don't know. But um, I have two brothers, both of whom played guitar, uh, and I okay. never really played with either of them, which is such a weird irony because I was <laughs> constantly pr- pr- playing with people. I jammed with Sylvia and jammed with mm-hmm. various, various Especially since the you're years. a drummer and they're so hard to come by. <laughs> I guess. I don't <laughs> know. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, so they, they have this band collective and they started recording again. And so now he's, I finally got stuff out of storage. And I had my drum, my 58 Gretsch again. And so I um, agreed to, do some recording with them. So I'm going to lay down some like Jackie Leipzig, like can like drum tracks and they're going to upload those files and do some wondrous magic with them. And hopefully that'll materialize. They have a label called Sublimental. Um, So they have like Mm -hmm. various artists on their solo projects and all kinds of stuff. That sounds Um, cool. Yeah, and I'm also doing a little side project with Jesse Engel, who is, he was actually a guitar player in Spain for a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, and he and I are sort of exchanging um, sound files and trying to do something. So ironically, for the first time in like 20 years, I'm sort of arcing my way back into a music, at least at a distance. But mm-hmm. um, it's kind of exciting. What about artwork? Do you still, do you paint? Yeah, I still paint and draw. That's like a lifelong obsession. Yeah. Well, that's great to hear. Um, you'll have to let me know if anything, you know, comes out that people can hear so we can point, point them in that direction. Definitely. James, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me tonight. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Brant. And thanks for your project. Um, you and Ryan are doing it. It's just fascinating to hear. I was so skeptical at first, but it's like, really, <laughs> I'm, I'm revisiting a lot of the catalog. And I think that, you know, of course there's the black flag, Minuteman, me puppets, who Sacred trust, St. Vitus. Those are like the, the gods, you know, the, mm-hmm. of the label dinosaur sound garden, um, bad brains. But, you know, I, I forget that some of my favorite bands are like Pell-Mell, yeah. Colby, Zoog's Rift, um, you know, Angst, 
you know, um, those bands are just, you know, singular, you know, irreplaceable gems. You know, those, those records are just, yeah. I was listening to Bumper Crop yesterday. It was just amazing. So it's, it must be fun for you guys. I guess that's what makes this uh, a year to year possibility for you guys. But, yeah, it's so much um, fun. And I and... think it's a really cool project. Oh, thank you. Yeah, well, that, I, I really appreciate you saying that. Yeah, I mean, there's so much good stuff. We just did, uh, it's not out yet, but we just did Cry for Happy by Angst, and wow, like, oh, what a great record. amazing record. Yeah, it's yeah. so good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, thank you for saying that, and thanks for doing this. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Okay, take care. All right, so cool to hear from James. Uh, I mean, we we have already spoken at length about the pjd scene and how cool it sounds but man it also it also to me sounded like you were kind of fanboying out a bit about these pjd bands you know oh, i'm totally just uh like i'm just so curious about it i want to hear all of this i've got some spiels about the the pjd stuff for later i'm just i'm doing my research ryan good yep yeah. um some things uh, that that I find interesting their their early love of discharge and GBH when you listen to that Earth album their first cassette and you should it's up on their Bandcamp you should go buy it you can hear some of that you can definitely hear that ba uh, Black Flag influence mm -hmm. uh, especially on Quinn's guitar playing and some of the drumming as well like there's a bit of a Bill Stevenson feel to some of the drumming. Uh, hopefully Josh will put up the Insidious Sun and Fun tapes and, Ryan, some of the post-SST studio stuff. That would be amazing to hear. Yeah, I, I'm not sure I was able to find the stuff that that was referenced in the interview on, like, on YouTube videos. I'm not sure that I was able to find the right stuff. Yeah, I found some of it. I've, I'll get to some of that later. Um, the John Trudell Graffiti Man ref, uh, reference, the guitarist jesse ed davis he played on the scott colby record slide of hand if you remember yeah uh that sandy gold band that uh mustard uh members daryl goldfarb uh, well he was actually in hedgehog and sos steve townsend of mustard and sos they have some cool records on streaming you can check out it has a really laid back beach sound if that makes sense like it all actually almost sounds a bit like beechwood sparks or something you know, something along those lines at times. Mm. It's, it's a bit psychedelic. It's it's pretty cool. I, I love the story about JG mastering the record and, and telling him to resequence it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? I mean, if anyone can pick out a hit after how many years of doing it, it would be Mr. Golden. Don't you think? Like, oh, yeah. he could probably hear it and go, how many, how many records has he mastered and he kind of went, hmm, that one's catchy. That one sounds good. And then, you know, a month later, it's it's racing up the charts. Like, he would have a very finely tuned ear. And mm -hmm. uh, he's not wrong about that song when we get to it in History Lesson Part 2. Yeah. Uh, the story about the the Slo uh, slovenly recording sessions. Mm -hmm. Them and, just being in awe of yeah. slovenly, right? I love that. Yeah, and they're recording... Uh, a Neil song, which they do to a Neil, Neil Young cover on We Shoot for the Moon. I can't wait to get to that record. Mm -hmm. Okay, he talks a little bit about this um, just in reference to the album title, Good Medicine. So it comes from a book, it, it says this on the LP, Good Medicine, Life in Harmony with Nature by Hungry Wolf. 
So there's actually a website, uh, adolfhungrywolf.ca, Good Medicine Cultural Foundation. And it says right on the front page, good medicine is the theme of my life. And that's attributed to Adolf Hungrywolf. So he was this dude from BC. I'm not sure if he was born there or not, but he is not indigenous. Um, His parents were like Swedish and Hungarian, uh, but he just, you know, got fascinated with indigenous culture at a very young Mm -hmm. age and immersed himself in the cultures and traditions. Uh, in, in 1969, he started, started his book imprint, Good Medicine. He's written over 50 books, including this one that they reference in 1969. Uh, he's written a four-volume history of uh, the Blackfoot Confederation that it says on the website weighs 15 pounds. Like, it's just <laughs> massive. <laughs> so, yeah, that's who uh, Adolf Hungrywolf is. Super prolific. Uh, writer about about uh, indigenous rights and mm-hmm. and their culture. This was released Ryan on LP cassette. Uh, no CD release. The cassette has one extra track, as James mentions. Yeah, a, co- a cover of Hendrix's Little Wing, which unfortunately I was unable to hear. So that track will go down in the books along with the cassette only track from Paul Rossler's Abominable album i think it's called ndn as i believe the only two tracks in 207 episodes i haven't heard same here yeah i i i only have the lp and uh i couldn't find it online well again ryan if you'll indulge a brief rant a brant rant yeah please you can't hear this album anywhere it's not even up on youtube and I mean, we had some listeners ask a few weeks back if we knew where they could hear the UCO "This Is Mechalotics" album, which apparently is also not even uploaded that, to YouTube. Uh, which both crimes against humanity. Well, having it only available on YouTube is already a crime against humanity. That's yeah. just the shittiest way to listen to these albums in the first place. But at least it's something. These records, all of them, including this one, are important cultural artifacts, and it's mm-hmm. a goddamn shame that the artists who created them can't make their work available in a format of their choosing for people who want to hear it or purchase it like i'm mostly pissed off that i can't purchase the treacherous box set which also has the two sst eps the three pre-sst cassettes the post sst studio recordings and the cassette only track little wing I mean, if the Numero group can make the Savage Young Do box set happen, then surely to goodness. Surely to goodness. Ryan, let's check out these tracks. Yeah. History lesson, part two. Let me uh, give you some Spaceman before we start. So we've got, we are fortunate enough to have some Spaceman for this record. Thank goodness. All right, here we go. Treacherous Jaywalkers, Good Medicine. After the sunrise comes their first full-length LP from the ecologists of rock. A teaspoon of the good medicine every morning will make every day brighter. Includes dishes, long-forgotten summer, and ten more tracks plus the bonus James Spiel and Little Wing on the cassette. What's James Spiel? I don't know, man. This is just getting worse and worse. Yeah, so James... (laughs) The only redeeming quality, though, um, and finding out that there might be another track on the cassette that we've not heard, is that James Spiel is written as one word, but lowercase j, 
capital A-M-E, lowercase s, capital P-I-E-L. So nice. it's to- it's full on fire hosing the James Spiel writing. Like Thunderspiel. Exactly. Yep. That's cool. Okay. Uh, side Aiden is the first side. Yeah. Track one is Dishes. This is a Josh song. Starts with, this is one you can, you can hear up on, on YouTube. Starts with Josh introducing uh, the new Treacherous album with a knock-knock joke. Josh kicks off the album with a rip and bass line, and then the song just comes in full tilt. Josh's vocal grabs you straight away. There's just so much going on here. It speeds up, slows down. There's some wah pedal action, acoustic guitar, some popping and slapping. Mm-hmm. The lyrics reference a dream that Josh presumably had that featured Aiden. Yeah, great vocals on this one. Great uh, slower kind of breakdown section with uh, some shredding too. Just great vocals on this one. Yeah, I like how the song ends. It just slowly winds down. The people of these America of United States are in for a big <laughs> shock. And you expect it to go back into the I don't know why the people fight part but no straight into the spanish guitar of (laughs) los thumbos yeah there's spanish guitar bongos and ska Mm -hmm. yeah this one's written by josh and quinn uh it's got a little bit of everything it's jazzy uh ska uh, like james mentions uh you know it's two minutes in before the vocal appears Mm -hmm. Yeah, it tricks you. It think it makes you think it's going to be an instro. Yeah, the way the vocals are presented is very meat puppets for me. Hmm. Just the way they 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 sing them. Trees can be cut down, but man can't cut down water. So he fills the ocean with his waste while laughing and not caring about Mother Nature's fate. Uh, it's just crammed. This song, oh. to the, it's crammed to the knots with cool <laughs> ideas and riffs. I just I love it. <laughs> There are a lot of twists and turns yeah. in this one. James also plays tabla on this one. Mm. Track three, In the World, a Josh song. This one has Vetus kind of speaking the words in the chorus over Josh's vocals in the chorus. Uh, this is in the upper register of Josh's vocal, and it hurts me just listening to him belt this out. It gives the lyrics some extra conviction, the way he's just putting everything into them. And, yeah, they're they're a bit screechy yeah. at times, I guess I would say. And he also kind of laughs during some of the lyric. Yeah. Uh, and he literally says what the song is about. He says, The existence of time is the basis of a funny joke. The non-existence of man's laws is what this song's all about. And then you have the kind of psychedelic coda with the I breathe time lyric. That's That's a nice touch. I like that part. Track four is Vision Pit. That's a James and Quinn song. James uh, kind of speaks to the lyric. He's pretty critical of it in the interview, but it's actually, I think, perfect for this song. Oh, I I love it. And, you know, it gives me kind of, you know that band Gobblehoof? Yep. Gives me kind of Gobblehoof vibes, the way that the vocals come off in this song. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, he has kind of the perfect cadence. Probably the timing of the drummer doesn't doesn't hurt. Uh, to deliver these lyrics just in perfect sync with the drumming after it kind of speeds up. He's also pulling off some total Neil Peart Rototom rolls. Yeah, there's lots of Rototom and Wawa on this record. Yeah. 
lots. Definitely some references to indigenous culture or storytelling. Like, here's a boy and his torn mind. He will try to find love and peace while he sits under a moonlit sky. Past ancestors have brought him there in a vision pit with a blanket, gourd, and pipe. Track 5 is a Quinn song, Pave the Way. This one dates back to the fun tape, uh, which I've unfortunately never heard, but there is a version of it on there. The band just explodes, showing off their chops, uh, with James and Josh just going off. The vocals are Josh, doubled for sure. Uh, cool the way it transitions from Quinn's fuzzed-out wah riffing to the acoustic guitars. A bit of a back-to-nature theme, maybe? Look over yonder, what do you see? I see cities, factories. I feel a pull deep inside towards the sun, towards the sky. Musically, this song is just a total tour de force. The playing by all three members is just next level. And again, this song is loaded with ideas that, you know, just when you kind of get oriented in the song, it changes. I'd love to hear the earlier version of this one. Yeah, Josh is just turning out that sweet neck through bass. I don't know what kind it is, though. Looks like a, a PV or a Yamaha or something. I, I think he but confirmed it's like a Yamaha. I think you... Is it a, a Yammy? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's just rocking it, man. It's It sometimes is a bit Watt-esque, mm-hmm. but, I, but I love it. Yeah. Uh, and then we've got Long Forgotten Summer, written by Josh. They're a hit. Um some acoustic guitar overdubs on this one there those are a nice touch the way josh sings and his overdubbed harmonies actually made me think of super chunk a lot like the way he does it like especially that first super chunk record interesting Uh, yeah that's just what i hear anyways this is a song uh kind of about the magic of youth i think which kind of i don't know makes it have that you know, that kind of quality that would also lend this to being a bit of a hit, maybe, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. The lyrics really hit home for me, particularly when I read through this, talking about three-piece suits and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah, I bet, hey? Yep. Okay, flipping it over. Side James. Have you ever seen The Sunrise is a Quinn song? Again, this one dates back to the fun tape. Quinn kind of speaks the lyric. The glistening light rises over the mountain pass, sparkling on the wet morning grass. It's times like these when you make your wish for nuclear arms to be abolished. Lots of lyrics about politicians sending people off to war and innocent civilians being killed, which is... Super topical. Yeah, unfortunately, you know, what's happening right now, including the threat of of nuclear war. I don't want a black sun. From life, watch humanity run. What's this top gun? Jaw people must be as one. Top Gun is capitalized, so I'm pretty sure they're referencing the movie, which would have been recently out at this time. The drumming in parts and the way you know they the drums interact with the bass and guitars is a bit Minutemen or Firehose esque. I don't think Treacherous are similar to either band in any major way. Well, I mean, it depends on what you mean by similar, in the sense that they are copying their style. Hell no. To the extent that they are influenced by, sure, and that's awesome. That's great. Yeah. I I like hearing some Watt flavors and 
in Josh's bass playing. I like hearing the roto toms and the splash cymbal. You know, I I'm I'm in. It doesn't. It's like with blast, right? Yeah. It's like influenced by Black Flag, maybe, but who cares? It's yeah. not like they're copying them. That's right. It sounds like, based on what James said, the comparison came up a lot, but I, I think it probably has more to do with the fact that they are a fairly bass-heavy band. Like, Josh is carrying the rhythm on a lot of these songs, and Quinn is more texture. And James is, you know, an insane player like Georgie. Plus, they were connected to SST and New Alliance and Watt produced yeah. Sunrise. So. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to pair Firehose and Treacherous together on the label i mean it makes total sense yeah but it doesn't mean one is stealing the other's music or something like that yeah okay track two side two encomienda 1988 written by josh and quinn uh in a distant land people believed in the earth and nature these people were slaughtered by the white man the people killed were indians as James mentioned, Encomienda was a Spanish labor system first started in the mid-15th century that rewarded conquerors with the labor of particular groups of conquered non-Christian people. Musically, this song is pretty bass-driven, which makes sense. Like, I think Josh wrote the music. I like Gwyn's kind of psychedelic playing. Works well in the context of the song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and some triangle action, which you picked out. Yeah. Kind of sounds like a sitar. Yeah, times on this track, right? Yeah, a bit, yep. Some of the guitar playing. Uh, this one, again, though, like so many others on the record, just tons of twists and turns. Like, to write this type of song is amazing. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure it is. Track three, Papa Greg, written by Josh and Quinn. Another one that date back, dates back to the fun tape. All the rest of these songs on this side all do. Josh told me Papa Greg was a Palisades high school classmate of Quinn's. I don't remember why we called him Papa, although I think he used to sell us pot. He, <laughs> he was quite a character and genial person. My assessment at the time was that he wasn't too pleased we wrote a song about him. We were kind of teasing him in a good-natured way. We thought it was funny, and we had a lot of respect for him. Hmm. Again, very Minutemen Firehose-esque opening, and then... Uh, we have that Uroy sample. Make love, make no war, because love is lovely and war is very ugly. Yeah. And then it goes kind of into a off-kilter reggae part with James on bongos. Really loose. Yeah. Really loose reggae thing, yeah. It also has some dub reggae type of production tricks going on. Like, these guys were, were big reggae fans, Roots mm -hmm. Reggae. And it ends with, like, a laughing loop yeah at the end as well this track yeah josh and quinn along with marshall crouch and steve townsend doing some big exaggerated laughs papa greg won't take it no more he's grown tired of government man and he's grown tired of the holy plan track four is fake written by josh i love fake things gold and diamond rings the things that i wear golden fur off a grizzly bear a song i think about consumer culture and you know, mm -hmm. the empty superficiality, maybe? Chocolate pate and little kids' feet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to be honest, by this point in the album, I was running out of ways to describe what's happening. It's just so much. Like, I'm not sure we've heard an album in the past two, 207 episodes with this many musical ideas packed in. Yeah, it is. I I will also admit, by this point in the record, I've I've had 
you know, almost my fill of the Wawa yeah. by this point. And you know, you know, I'm not a Wawa guy yeah. like like this, right? I I'm kind of hoping that Quinn maybe pulls out some of that sweet East Bay Ray guitar sounds off of the Sunrise 12 inch at this point. I can handle the Wawa. I know you can. Yeah. I know. Track five, Gaze, written by Quinn. This is the Quinn's psychedelic epic, which ends the album. It kind of alternates between psychedelic parts with some backwards looping and Quinn's spoken lyrics, and then it goes into the straight-up country part. Country, I Because know. why not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've done almost everything else except country, so better get it in there. This song is four minutes long. It has parts in it that could be the basis for like eight different songs i listened to this album like at least 10 times this week and by the end you feel a bit exhausted which i i don't mean as a criticism it's just a lot to take in even after multiple listens it can be difficult kind of to process it's a challenging listen this record yeah the first three tracks as well are hard to pull apart from each other yeah and and uh, on the first and the second side as well um i mean they're at times kind of blending into each other but also kind of like uh very like certainly on this side when it encomienda comes in it's like okay we're into something different here for sure but you when you're trying to like catch up with the song really trying to listen to it and then all of a sudden it's over and you're like no 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 i still didn't figure out that song Mm -hmm, yet mm -hmm. Yeah, even after multiple listens, like I know, uh, you know, but I appreciate that. I like a challenging listen. Like I'm a huge Voivod fan, and I've listened to their new album at least twenty times now, and I'm still not sure, you know, where it sits in their catalog for me. I need to listen to it at least twenty more times. Twenty more times, yeah, yeah, and that's treacherous. Like it's not surprising to me that, you know, the band jokes about it, but I know they had you know a really hardcore following. But I wouldn't say Treacherous caught on like some other SST bands. No, 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 no. It's interesting, too, in terms of, you know, hearing the comments from James. It almost sounded like this era of the band was kind of his least favorite Hmm. on this record. Because, you know, he said he had such a strong preference for the early stuff and then the stuff that came after this. Yeah. Um, And for me... I mean, I, I like their earlier stuff better. Uh, I like this a lot, uh, but this record is very dense. Yeah. It's very dense, and I can totally understand how it was hard for people to get into. I can also understand, you know, that sentiment from John Golden in terms of the most straight-ahead song on the record sounding like the hit because you're, you're working so hard to understand the music when something remotely familiar comes along on the record mm-hmm. it's it feels like very familiar yeah. i guess yeah. i don't know i think ryan uh, fast freddy actually sums it up pretty good here in the good medicine press kit i'm, I'm gonna read this to you this morning i woke up with long forgotten summer wailing in my head the day before it was papa greg before that it was lost thumbus it seems nearly every day since the completion of Good Medicine, I wake up with another treacherous Jaywalker's jam swinging in my gray matter. Having produced the record with Vetus Matare gave me ample time to get acquainted with the songs contained within. And what songs they are. The TJs are just kids, oldest one is 20, yet they write some of the most well-crafted songs on the scene today. 
They seem so complex, yet you find yourself humming them. They seem so rocking, yet they are so melodic. Most of their songs contain various sections. Many songwriters will be happy just to have written one of these parts. The TJs don't stop there. They add part after part. Have you ever seen The Sunrise has six parts? <laughs> At first listen, you would think that six different songs have been put together, but upon close scrutiny, the tune is so totally together that it will most certainly blow your mind. Every song features themes that are socially and politically aware. In the years to come, the treacherous jaywalkers, their friends, and their children will be inheriting a polluted earth under the constant threat of nuclear destruction. They know this, but they don't dig it. Young, naive, idealistic, perhaps, but what's wrong with wanting to make this planet a better place to live? People throughout the world need to hear the message of the treacherous jaywalkers. So who are these treacherous jaywalkers, and why are they so groovy? They are bass player, singer, Democrat, student, political activist, film buff, Josh Hayden. Guitarist, singer, surfer, non-party anarchist, political idealist, Rasta spiritualist, king of the Wawa, Quinn Haber. <laughs> and drummer, artist, gardener, Democrat, writer, sun and water worshipper, James Fenton. It is they, in close association with their guru, Aiden, who have concocted this brave new music, Good Medicine. Their sound has been described as King Crimson mixed with Black Flag and spiced with the Minutemen, progressive, punk, and power all in one. Not only that, but these lads have the chops to pull it off. Consider for a moment that Josh's father is the great jazz bass player and composer Charlie Hayden, and you will understand where his talent and, po and politics comes from. Quinn and James are definitely in the same league. For Vetus and I, it was exciting to work with the treacherous jaywalkers. They set up their equipment, went right to work, pounding out song after song. They knew exactly what they wanted and how to get it. We offered guidance, and they responded with great music. This is an important new rock and roll band with something to say. That is very, very well put. Yeah. That's kind of, I guess that's a better way of saying what I was trying to get at earlier, I suppose, you know, where I'm listening to Have You Ever and I'm like, okay, so when is this song ending? When is it going into the next track? Because there's so many parts, it's hard to tell, right? And have you ever seen the sunrise? Six parts? Yeah. No doubt. There might even be more. I couldn't I, I couldn't even get it. A few other things, Ryan, I pulled out of the, uh, the press kit. Here's from an interview reprinted with Josh uh, from something called Nadine Mag out of Yale University, March 1989 by Austin Troy. The treacherous jaywalkers. Are they a weird terrorist organization or something? No, actually, they're one of the most inspiring bands on SST Records in some time. Although a relatively new entry into the SST arena, the Jaywalkers have already recorded one EP entitled Sunrise and one LP, Good Medicine, which was just recently released. A second EP to be released very shortly will contain their cover of La Isla Bonita by Madonna. So Austin asks Josh uh, about this EP and Josh says, I'd say June we'll see the release of our second EP. Uh, which includes that cover. Mm -hmm. And Austin says, isn't Sylvia Jancosa on that? And Josh says, yeah, and a live track from the tour we did last summer and a backwards version of one of the songs on Good Medicine and three new songs. 
It's a six-song EP. So there's a little teaser, Ryan, for episode 217. Yeah. Uh, the interview later asks, uh, what was the concept behind your new album? And here's Josh. The concept is something I've been thinking about for a long time. The title, Good Medicine, refers to a Native American concept at, of living at peace with yourself. We took the title from this magazine by this guy, Adolf Hungerwolf, who wrote these pamphlets about Indian life, how to build teepees, how to live off the land, and also talked about values that are important in human beings. So the interviewer says, what are your influences? And Josh names Your Analysis, which is a PJD band. Uh, he goes, I don't know if you've heard of them, but they're really big here. And then he says, but definitely Firehose and Minutemen are a big influence and some reggae stuff like you, Roy. There's lots of reviews in this press kit for Sunrise. Uh, most of them actually reference Firehose and Minutemen. Uh, one review mentions another treacherous tape called Crystal Gamma. So I'm not sure what that is. Uh, I've never seen that referenced anywhere else. Another says, obviously influenced by the Minutemen with a drummer who could al almost give Hurley a run for his money. Uh, lots of these reviews single out James's drumming. Yeah. Yeah. Ink Disease said, great musicianship and the drummer really shreds. Intelligent, socially aware lyrics and insane music make this a must. There's a live review from a gig at the Music Machine in Santa Monica where, get this Ryan, they opened for Jeff Dahl and the Lazy Cowgirls. Ooh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and, and in the review they talk about like Cheetah Chrome was playing with, with Jeff Dahl at the time and Stiv Bader's came out and did some <laughs> dead some Dead Boys songs. Dead Boys tracks yeah. with Jeff Dahl. Hey, wow. Yeah. Uh, it says, The drummer combined an incredible degree of inventiveness with a wicked style that was so hard-hitting he kept knocking all his fittings loose. This guy was easily one of the five most incredible drummers I've ever seen. Wow. Uh, here's from another review. There is more than a slight Minutemen influence, but this band possesses enough youthful energy and spirit that they compare favorably with them. Forget, forget Firehose, this could quite possibly be the band to carry on that legacy. Mm -hmm. Good call. Yep. Uh, here's another review of Sunrise. The music and vocals remind me of a cross between jfa and the minutemen and the lyrics deal with the state of the planet being ruled by unfair governments and laws and the fact that man seems to be on an inevitable crash course with destruction the artwork ryan is just as dense as the the music yeah i i don't know how i missed that wicked pjd border that james referenced on the cover right yeah pretty sweet much like his painting on sunrise the colors on the cover really grab your eye yeah great, great painting great textures cool photo of the band on the back by john wells who i believe james said was a cousin of josh's james looking like a cross between george hurley and chai pig kind of right yeah quinn looking like the laid-back surfer that he is flashing the peace sign and john what what is uh what kind of are those vision streetwear or airwalk shoes like he's sitting on a board hey yeah yeah i think he was out shredding i think oh totally man 
skateboarding right. culture was a big part of the PJD scene. Yeah. Josh. And, that, and he's just rocking the tube socks too, which I love. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> 1980s shredding right there. Josh looking a lot like his dad and rocking a bitch in yellow residence shirt. Oh yeah. He's got some fans on. It looks like suitably there's various photos of beaches and the ocean, which kind of fits the nature vibe of the record. On one side of the sleeve uh, is a collage of photos, Fast Freddy, sporting what the LA Times uh, in one of these articles from the press kit calls the coolest goatee in town. The photo, I believe, James says, is at Rhino Records, which the band had strong connections to. Yeah, did you, did you, you, can you see the singles like behind him referenced in the interview, right? Like yeah. there's the, the Chemical People one blatant descent single there <laughs> oh dude that is that's such a killer photo just for all the stuff you can see in the background much less what freddie's got going on check out that he's got like a necklace on just this massive digital watch <laughs> he's a right? beatnik. he's like a beatnik man oh yeah what's his shirt though the dukes what is that i think it's like a university isn't it that's Albuquer what i thought Albuquerque Dukes. It must be a like a, a team or something like that, right? Yeah. That's cool. This insert is just awesome. It's all over. Yeah. The middle collage is credit to, credited on the LP as Pay Your Rent cartoon from Eco Defense, second, second edition by Dave Foreman, Ned Nature Books. So this book is a bit like the Anarchist Cookbook or something like that. It's subtitled A Field Guide to Monkey Wrenching. Dave Foreman is the co-founder of Earth First and a prominent member of the radical environmentalism movement. It's basically a guide for like vigilante actions to protect the environment, like plugging smokestacks, spiking roads, disabling heavy equipment, like how to burn machinery, uh, jamming locks, making stink bombs. You can actually read a PDF of the whole thing on the anarchistlibrary.org website. Wow. Yeah. And as James mentions in the interview, that's Aiden in the corner saying, pay your rent. Pay your rent, yeah. I've got, like, my copy of this record, not only is it a cutout, but it's also, I bought this in Montreal. I remember buying this at a record shop in Montreal, and it has the radio call letters in marker all over it. Unfortunately, like, right over that piece of artwork. Hmm. Uh, C-H-R-Y, Montreal Radio, is where this... Uh, this record was rescued from the other side has some various live photos the pjd logo it's all on top of uh, kind of superimposed on top of james's drawing of an indigenous man with a a rainbow and an eagle and in the four corners there's a peace sign an anarchy sign a yin yang and and an equality symbol i actually have the raw drawing of this so we'll be posting that on our oh, instagram right this week can i point out a few more things in the photos on the on the flip of this insert man yeah of course you, you moved on a little fast for me there. okay okay so of course we've got james doing like you know a, a sweet handstand on the beach mm -hmm. um but look at the, the the live photos remember you were wondering you know where were these live photos taken with the lattice in the background yep just check how they've got in those photos not again not only is josh again rocking that sweet yamaha bass but they've got like a boom box on the floor there 
I don't know if you could see that. It's mm. almost, I wonder if this is like, you know, taping a jam session or something. Maybe. I don't know. Well, they, looks, they taped, like, I think probably all of their shows. Everything. Yeah. And then in the foreground on one of the shows is this massive chandelier hanging from, I don't know if you can yeah. see that. No, but, that's what James men mentioned in the interview. That's how he knew it wasn't Bebop for sure. Yeah, yeah. So where are they? They're taping it. There's lattice. It looks like it's outside, but there's this chandelier inside. I didn't ask Josh, but I bet he knows. He'll tell yeah. us. He'll tell us. Yeah, and before, now I got to mention one other thing too in Fast Freddy um, in that photo. I don't know if you can see in the background, obviously in a record store, Rhino, right? It says CDs. Do you see that mention yeah. of CDs there? <laughs> it says, they're like now and we have them, CDs. <laughs> and then it has, um, you know, like a, a record stand of selling, you know, a feature band or something like that, local gods house of freaks it has their nice. record for sale there 295 for the lp just love that and then on i don't know if you can tell but can you tell what record it looks like fast freddy's buying man no can you it looks like a rod stewart record <laughs> on the counter <laughs> okay so that's killer all of that is killer. Now we can go over to the other side. Okay, yeah. I'm rushing because I want to get to the thank you list, which is my favorite. Okay. Yeah. Keep going. Keep going. Okay. So many were mentioned in the interview. Marshall, Aiden, uh, Dukowski, Wiley Ginswa, The Hofers. That would be mm -hmm. Manfred and Tom. Yeah. Billy and All. Naz. Uh, sisters Rachel, Petra, and Tanya. That's uh, Josh's sisters. Papa Greg, Rich Ford. Craig, I'm thinking maybe Ibarra. Das Daman, Cruz. I'm, I'm assuming that's Cruz Records, which probably was just getting started at this time. Yep. Universal Congress of, Brian Long, Dave Childs of Lawndale and Sylvia Jankoza, Scream DC. Cool. Apple, the crust punk band from New York. Mike and Firehose, Ron Coleman, who worked at SST. Uh, HR. The Residents. I know Josh was a big fan. He told me when they played their final U.S. 13th anniversary show in San Francisco in 1988, uh, he and Quinn took the Amtrak train to, to San Francisco to see it. Uroy, Fast and Bulbous. That's a band I've seen mentioned a lot in association with Bebop. Uh, mm -hmm. There's a different band with it, the Fast spelt you know, with an F uh, that has Gary Lucas of the Magic Band they all, they play all beef heart material. This is a different band. I've never been able to find out anything about them, but I've seen them on a, on a lot of bebop posters. Uh, the Love Supremes. We talked about them on the Trotsky episode. They were a project of Vetus's and were in that movie Hellbent. Angst, Trotsky, John Trudell, Gilman Street Project, Fugazi, Culture Shock, Saint Vitus, Rhino, uh, Rollins Band, Ryan. Mm -hmm. uh, RKL, Eco Defense, Earth First, Embrace, Jordan and Global, uh, Liquid Knowledge Surfboards, Quinn, Quinn was a big time surfer, Splat, which would be Splat Winger, Brain Cookies, KXLU, Bebop Records, DeKreutzen, Ja Rastafari, uh, Razor. Canadian thrash band, Ryan. If you haven't heard their albums, Violent Restitution, Evil Invaders, Shotgun Justice, get on it. 
uh, Hirax, Cryptic Slaughter, Tom Tricoli's dog. Remember Josh's story about meeting Tom Tricoli way before SST when he was a kid and Josh was working with his mom at a food co-op that Tom Tricoli also worked at? Right. Jimmy Cliff, Gary Floyd, MDC, Paper Bag, St. Vitus again. Pat Metheny, maybe a influence of Quinn's. Mm. Pat Hoed, Pat played in Nip Drivers, Clawhammer, many others. He also worked at SST. Stooges, Sugar Cubes, Culture. I'm assuming that's uh, the the Roots Reggae Band, one of my faves. Two Sevens Clash. Yep. Hell Cows, Sun City Girls, Richard Hell, Tom Verlaine, Sabbath, Outhouse. I'm assuming the notorious punk club in Lawrence, Kansas that all these bands played at. And Have the, you seen the documentary for The Outhouse? Oh, I didn't know there was one. Oh, dude, you have to see that documentary on The Outhouse. It's like three hours long, and you would not believe the footage in it, man. Oh. You have, you've got to, either either you have to get it, or I'll lend it to you next time you're here, man. Like, oh, you, it's not super high budget, but the footage is absolutely top-notch of some mm. of the live stuff that went through that place. Yeah, well, I bet, man. Uh, amazing, amazing. Yeah, no, I didn't know that existed. Oh, yeah. Okay, I'm on that. I have a big spiel on the PJD, Ryan. Can I, do you have anything to add on the thank you list? I have nothing to add on the thank you list. You hit okay. all of the ones that I was going to mention um, in mine. I mean, I certainly made note of the Discord bands too. Like, em- mentioning Embrace seems like particularly interesting. So, but yeah, yeah no, that's it. Okay, all, and then it ends, all the rest of millions of many Palisades juvenile delinquents and you. So the PJD bands that get mentioned here, so, uh, out, PJD 005, Once Upon a Time. Uh, that was the Gone Influence band that Josh, James, and Ed Gregor of Alter Drown were in. Mm-hmm. And then Alter Drown, PJD 003. Are You Animal, Are You Machine from 1986. They had a few albums on on the PJD label. You can hear this tape on YouTube, the whole thing. Uh, Ed again and Sean Wheatley on bass, who was in Mustard and Shower of Smegma. And then Jonathan Silverblatt on drums. Uh, Jonathan was also in SOS and Equidemius. Uh, they get a thank you, Equidemius or Equidemius. Uh, they weren't on PJD, but I think they came close to getting signed to SST. We've talked about them before. They were a pretty wild band, pretty notorious. Our pal Devin Sarno uploaded an, an entire 45-minute set of theirs to YouTube live on KCSB in Santa Barbara. Really ripping band, all instro, really, really gnarly players. They would have been great on a bill with Gone and Out. Mustard had several releases on PJD, and they also have a Bandcamp page, must, uh, Mustard Music, uh, with a couple of comps with tracks from the PJD releases. Animal gets a thank you, PJD 007 Against the Sky, another Eddie Gregor band. They're often described in the PJD catalogs as Crimson-esque. Mm-hmm. They, they have a couple other albums on, on PJD as well. Oblitosaurus gets a thank you. They they have a, st- a self-titled record, PJD009. Uh, here's what James told me about Oblitosaurus. They featured Ryan Miyaki, a high school friend who played bass uh, in, in the band. 
He said, he and I drove up to Oakland and sold LSD for three days at the Dead's New Year's shows, sneaking into the Coliseum at night to see the music, living out of his tiny car in the parking lot. When we returned to LA, we were ragged, but we made enough money that Roy could buy a 60s P-Bass and launch Oblitosaurus and other heavy rock PJD bands like the Crepulous Crotch Creatures and, Qu- <laughs> and Quest for Toast. <laughs> other bands include PVHC, Shower of Smegma, Soil, which is described in the uh, catalog, the PJD catalog as throbbing jazz funk exploration with sax, bass, and drums. Urinalysis, Smiling Jesus, which is Eddie and James. Linus on Fire, a PJD supergroup. The, the promo calls them the most incestuous band since October Faction. <laughs> <laughs> and it says, and they're better than October Faction too. Uh, Caustic, Hedgehog, Ralph's Eviction. Uh, the the catalog calls them the Minutemen of Santa Cruz. Nihilist, The Cleavers. Quinn even has a solo album called The Lost Coast on, on PJD. You can go to uh, edgregor.wixsite.com and hear a sampler, uh, like a PJD sampler. There's videos, photos, but it's really just a tease. Like What, what we really need, Ryan, is a band camp with all the PJD... D releases, mm-hmm. you know, for that with the artwork and everything that you could purchase. James told me he's gonna dub me some PJD cassettes on his dual cassette deck, though. So how cool is that? That's sweet. I, I wonder if I wonder if he's gonna use the uh, like you know the boombox that was on stage at that those sweet band picks in, <laughs> in the in the liner. I mean, as much as I'd love to have a band camp with all this stuff, it's almost cooler that he's gonna dub me cassette tapes. Oh, it's good. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned some of the later stuff. Uh, there is some uh, amazing footage on YouTube uh, going all the way back to them playing in 1985 at Crossroads High School that Steve Townsend uploaded. It's pretty killer stuff. Quinn's rocking a discharge shirt. Josh has really long hair. Um, there's some pro shot footage James mentioned from 1990. So you can hear some of the stuff that would have been on that Bill Stevenson produced follow-up, mm. uh, like uh, Life is Lived in Vain, uh, Song for Men is another one. Both great songs, a huge leap forward for the band. Uh, there's also a wicked track called Phone Call from their first demo, in, or their final demo, sorry, in 1992, which really shows the direction Josh was going with his songwriting uh, that he continued in Spain. You can hear it uh, also on the Spain Bandcamp on an album called Blue Moods of Spain, which is recordings that kind of predate Spain's 1995 debut. Of course, there's the killer Treacherous Bandcamp. Uh, there's a Brain Cookie set on there with great versions of almost all of these songs. Uh, there's a cool instro on there they dedicate to Watt, and it's called Under the Influence of Firehose. And that, that set ends with an interview. Uh, with the band, a 12-minute inter- interview. They're talking about how two Damascus is playing at a bar and they can't go because they're all underage. <laughs> <laughs> That's another thing, you know, that gets mentioned a few times, but these guys were super young when they did all this. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, in that interview, interview, they spiel about the PJD. Um, so that's cool. 
There's other live sets with these songs. Uh, the set from Babylon Music and Art in 1988 is really great quality. Uh, there's cool write-ups on each of these shows on the Bandcamp too. Also, The Vogue in Seattle from 1988. They play almost the entire album. So you can kind of almost listen to the album that way. Live, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and P.S., that uh, that Vogue show, Nirvana, opened for them. Nirvana opened for Treacherous. Treacherous. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right on. There's a couple of 89 shows too with songs that they never released. So, at least not yet, Josh. Hint, hint. But yeah, check out the Bandcamp, man. It's it's just got so much great stuff on it. Oh yeah, I've been. How about some Dead Wax, Ryan? Oh, Dead Wax, you shall have. Of course there's Dead Wax, right? Because yeah. th there's everything on this record. That's right. So um, on side Aiden, it says, there is music here, dot, dot, dot. And of course there is. And then on side... James, it says, there is also silence elsewhere. Hmm. Ooh, that's deep. Um, the B-side label too should mention it's got some great, uh, some great drawings on there too. Similar to kind of the border on the front cover. Yeah, that's from the Good Medicine book. I'm pretty sure. Is, is that where it's from? Yep. Yeah, that's cool. I'm really curious to hear your picks, Ryan, for the ballot result. Hmm. Me too. <laughs> Ballot result. All the minor from the A side, Ryan. I didn't realize until I really wrote them all down. Yeah, dishes, oh, no dishes, lost thumbos, paved the way, long forgotten summer. Yeah, I mean, for me, we didn't really talk about it too much during history lesson part two, but like, not only do the lyrics in long forgotten summer really resonate with me, the music is just amazing it's killer it's it's uh it's kind of a relief when you get to the end of side one to hear that track mm -hmm. and it just sinks its hooks in me the the clincher for me though is the outro for that song and the wailing background vocals kind of buried in the mix i just oh, i just love it so i mean that's my pick long forgotten summer the hit we don't need to go with that one, but that will always be my favorite track on this record. Sure. Well, let's do it, man. I mean, it's got the the JG stamp on it, so. Yeah, it's so killer, man. They just should have sequenced it earlier because of the grooves on the record and the fidelity. Uh, not that I can tell on this one. It's such a, honestly, my copy is really, really beat up. Um, so I do end up actually, as, as James recommended, uh, cranking this one to kind of, get the full vibe and not have some of the background noise overpower the tunes. Yeah. It definitely has a liver feel than some of the, well, that's not true. I was going to say a liver feel than some of the other uh, Vetus Vetus stuff, but maybe, uh, maybe it's just so. that maybe it's the, you know, and James mentions is the, the number of overdubs mm -hmm. that was, that were going on. Yeah. That's not something you hear on, on a lot of SST records. And I think that, had more to do with just available time in the studio. Yeah. Well, there, I mean, it's hard to think of another band around this time in the studio with Vetus with this much creativity, these many thoughts all at once, and then the ability to do it in studio. Yeah. Just, just the mere overdubbing of acoustic guitar on this record 
takes it to another level for me. Well, I think that's partly youth too. Like mm. you are just all in on your band at that age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you're thinking about your band 24-7. Yeah. Well, I just, I don't know. This record makes me feel nostalgic. It makes me jealous of the the cool scene they had and this this crew and this band. Yeah. Um, I wish I was like 25 years younger listening to this record. Yeah. I can't, I can't help it. Yeah, man. All right. Hey, Ryan, thanks to uh, James for being on the show and thanks for thanks to Josh as well. Yeah. Go find this record. Go flip through the bins and rescue it from a, uh, a radio station castaway like I had to. Yeah. All right. Ryan, what's next week? Ooh. Next week, Brant, we are going to get weird again in a really cool way because it's SST 208, the Elliott Sharp Carbon Monster Curve record. Right on. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Mojack Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.